Our second reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 to 25. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Thus he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The word of the Lord. Um, how many of you have children? Anybody? Children? Then you know what it means to have a child. And I got to brag on my little daughter, Capri. I'll show you an p- image I think they should have. There she is. Little milk mustache there. Uh, uh, just in the hospital right before she came home. And I don't know about you, uh, parents, but I've always had a little bit of anxiety right before uh, the baby is born. This kind of sense of, is everything going to go Okay. Is everything going to come out all right? What if, what if something's wrong? What if the baby isn't born? What if there's a stillbirth? What if my mind can just run down all these different thoughts? Or what if there's an ailment or something wrong with my child? Or 
something like that. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of anxiety. If you've got kids, this is my fifth child. So I've had this a few times, but had never been down the C-section road. So it was kind of a, a new, a new uh, area we were walking into, a new trial, if you will. And so as we were walking into this, I'm praying and saying, God, I just want you to give me peace. And it brought my mind back to a time that my son, Connor, uh, when he was very young, he's, he's, uh, these are three of my other children, Murphy, Connor's in the middle, and Courtney is the oldest. And Connor, when he was pretty small, uh, he actually, uh, we, I, I was a youth pastor at Truro Church right up the road and getting ready uh, to leave on a youth uh, overnight with a bunch of teenagers and um, realized my son was really sick. He was getting sick to the point uh, it was not good. And the doctor said, you need to get him right over to the hospital, to Fairfax Hospital. And that's never something you want to hear. Obviously, at that point, the retreat meant nothing. I passed it off to some volunteers, and I headed to the hospital. And as soon as I got there, they, the uh, surgeon came and said, well, there's something wrong with his pyloric valve, which is the valve the food goes into right from the stomach into the intestines, if you, if you wanted that graphic uh, idea. And so they said, we've got to, the, the valve is not allowing food to go in, so that's why he keeps getting sick. We've got to go in and do laser surgery and cut it open. If we cut it too big... Uh, food, food will pass before it's time, and, and if it, we cut it too small, he'll have the same problem. He could die. Very serious. So they did emergency surgery right away, and it was one of those, you know, kind of pins and needles. Again, as a parent, I'm like, is this going to turn out okay? You ever felt that feeling in life? Is it going to turn out okay? And, and sometimes when those things happen, you even start to ask the big philosophical or theological question, depending on your bent, why? Why is this happening to me? You know, uh, uh, we've walked through a lot of different things, not just to do with your children, but uh, it, those of you who, who have heard me speak a few times know in the last 21 months, my wife and I have walked through uh, from loss of a job, change of a job, to my father passing away, my stepdad, my, da- my biological father died when I was three, and then my mom remarried, and so the dad that had been with me my whole life passed away. Right after that, I, I was diagnosed with Bell's palsy, and then they found out I had a brain aneurysm. A little later, we got pregnant. And uh, we miscarried. And so it has been one of those um, uh, periods of my life where trusting God and, and stepping back and asking the question, why is this going on, Lord? How's this going to turn out, Lord? And if, you, if your mind is a little more analytical, maybe you take it a little bit further and ask the question, who's responsible for this? Did I do something wrong? Do you want to punish me? Do you want me to walk through this? Have you ever asked questions like that, going through something similar? Well, the idea, if we think about the gospel reading this morning, the mindset of, of the people at the time of Christ, the teaching was that if there was an ailment, if there was a deformity, if there was something that went horribly wrong, a crisis, they would ask that same question. And they would say, there's sin involved here. Someone is responsible. And that's where we open our gospel reading this morning at the beginning. If we look at the first two verses of uh, chapter um, uh, excuse me, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 of John's gospel. And it says, as he, Jesus, passed by, passing by on, on this road, walking through a town, it says he saw a man blind from birth. Okay, so this guy has never opened his eyes and seen something. He, maybe he can open his eyes, but he's never caught the, the sight of day. And it says he uh, has been blind from birth. His disciples, the followers of Christ, asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. See, their, their limited understanding of, of God was, we got two choices. Here's the multiple choice. It was either him or the parents. Now, it's, it's a tough argument to say it was him, right? Because he was born blind. When did he sin? In the womb, he, did, he, he was cursing in the womb or something. Something's gone wrong. 
He kicked mom. Something's going on. No, someone sinned. And they're waiting for the answer. And uh, that would have been the popular understanding of that day. But I want, I want us to do something a little different this morning. I want you to picture a blind guy. And I've got, for those of you that are kind of a type A engineering mind and you have a hard time imagining, I'm going to give you a picture of a kind of a Middle Eastern blind man. And picture this guy, blind from birth, has never seen anything, and he's there. And I, and I want us to do something, an exercise probably a little bit further. I want you to actually pretend that you're the guy. So we're going to do something different. I'm going to actually have you ask you to close your eyes. I'm actually going to ask Johnny if he'll turn the lights down. Don't panic. They're not going to be off for long because I wouldn't be able to see my notes. But we're going to turn all the lights down. Close your eyes. I want you to picture for a minute that you close your eyes. You were born blind. You have never seen the light of day. You've heard the voices of your mom and dad, but you can't picture what they look like. You felt the sun on your face, but the ideas of orange and yellow and red hues against a cloud-covered sky make no sense to you. You felt rain and wind, but when somebody talks about a day being gray and the effects of uh, the weather on the trees, you, you don't know what that means. You've probably grown up with some heartache of kids that uh, took your differences and made fun of you. Maybe you've had things stolen from you because you weren't aware when somebody took it. You know, God made you in such a way that when one of your five senses doesn't work properly, your other four senses step up and act in kind of a hyper mode. So your sense of listening is very acute and you're trying to hear those voices and know immediately who is this, but you've walked through a lot of heartache in your life. And at this point, nobody in this culture will hire you or give you a job. They don't care if you have a smart mind. It's the fact that you are different than everyone else. They will not hire you. So you are forced to be led by a family member or friend or by Cain to a a, a certain intersection where you beg each day. And you hope nobody will make fun of you or spit on you. You hope nobody will take advantage of you and grab your money and run. But you beg there. You maybe live at home with your mom and dad because nobody else can take you in and you can't be on your own. But there you sit day after day. And on this particular day, you hear a group of people coming. You can smell a group of men that have been walking for a while. You feel the dust kicked up and you breathe in that, that, uh, the smells and the dust and you hear the conversation and maybe you lean closer to the edge of the road and you stretch your arm out hoping that one of them will be generous enough to take pity on you and give you something. And then you hear the words because your hearing is very, very good. You hear the question, Rabbi, who sinned? This guy or his parents? And you realize quickly, they're talking about me. And maybe this is a question you've had your whole life because you've been taught that it's synagogue and others have told you, dude, you're a sinner. Your mom and dad are. And you've lived with that idea of being an outcast and ridiculed your whole life. It's not enough that you can't see. People won't fully accept you and love you as you deserve to be loved. And here's somebody asks the question about you publicly. And you're wondering, who is this teacher they're asking and what will his answer be? Will he finally give me the answer I've always wondered about to the question that's been in my mind? Why have I gone around like this for my entire life? And as you sit and listen, you're tuned in and the rabbi speaks and says, neither this man nor his parents, 
This happened so that the glory of God might be seen. You're trying to understand what that means. And then Jesus, Jesus says, in fact, uh, I am here to do the will of my father. That's why I'm here. And I've got to do it while, while it's still day because he knew he was headed to the cross. In fact, Jesus said at that point, as I'm, as I'm headed there, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And you, this blind person, you're sitting there trying to make sense. What does he mean? Is it true I didn't sin? My mom and dad didn't sin? Will I finally be exonerated? Will I finally be uh, accepted? And then it's silent. And you hear a noise that you're not happy with, but maybe you've heard before as other people have disgraced you. You hear someone spit. And then there's silence and then maybe some rustling on the ground. And what you don't realize, but other people see, is that Jesus is making a paste out of his own saliva, the the saliva of the Son of God with dirt. He's mixing it together, but you're not sure. And then you feel his touch on your shoulder as he steadies you. And with his other hand, he begins to wipe this paste in, on your eyelids. And you're very curious about this unorthodox moment, but you still can't see. And his words to you are, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. You're wondering, why did you make me dirty? Why should I have to go wash? Now remember, you're still blind. You have to find your way to the pool of Siloam. So either a family member or friend or through your own understanding of where it is, you have to find your way there. And so you make your way down the street, maybe holding the hand of a family member, and you finally get to this edge of this pool and you lean down, get on your knees, you take your hands and plunge them below the surface of the water and splash your eyes. And for the first time, you begin to wince and squint because the light the contrast of the light is so strong. You can open your eyes. Can you imagine for a minute what it must have been like? I mean, look around for a minute. This guy, for the first time, is seeing color. I don't know, for those of you that might be a little bit older, maybe remember the first color movie. I believe it was Wizard of Oz, and they wanted such a contrast from, that's just black and white to color. And it's so intense when you watch that, and then it kind of shifts over. But imagine for the first time, you're, you're seeing colors. That's what blue is. And then you start to hear the voices of people you've heard your whole life, and you're connecting, oh, that's, that's Harry. That's, that's what she looks like. That's what he looks like. Wow, he's bigger than I thought. And your mind's going, and you hear animals, and you start to go, oh, that's what a camel looks like. And, and his mind has to be gone a mile a minute, right? And what's he do? Immediately, he says, he makes his way back to the place where this guy healed him. And he's on his way back, and he gets back to the intersection. But he doesn't know what Jesus looks like. He only knows the name and, and, uh, of this healer. And he's looking around, and as soon as he gets back, he realizes he's front-page news. Guys start stopping him and say, this is the guy. He's healed. He can see. Now, how many of you are, if you are kind of an engineering mind or really have a scientific bent, you're like, that's not, that's not possible. And people start to reason. This couldn't happen. Some say, well, he just looks like the guy. He's not really the guy. And they're discussing it. Some say, no, no, he's the guy. And then the guy, the, the man who's just been healed speaks up for himself and says, listen, Jesus came along. He made this mud paste. He put it in my eyes. I washed and I can see. In other words, it's me. They didn't know what to do with him. So what it says is, they said, come on, let's go see the religious leaders. This is not something we're used to. This is not in our frame of reference. And they bring him to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And they get him before this group of religious leaders. And let me just 
express for a minute the hardness of heart. Uh, you know, because some people can see an out-and-out miracle and just still try to find a, a reason God couldn't do this. And the religious leaders who are supposedly the authority of God then say, <laughs> it's impossible. It's the Sabbath. No one would heal on the Sabbath unless they're a sinner. And they take issue. And they say to the guy, tell us what happened. And that's where we get our fr- famous reference, this, I was, I don't, I don't know. And they said, this guy's got to be a sinner. And the man who is healed defends Jesus and says, whether he's a sinner or not, I have no idea. Here's what I know. I was blind. But right now I see. It was after he touched me. They don't like what they hear. In fact, it says a, uh, some dissension breaks out amongst the religious leaders. Some start to say he couldn't heal on the Sabbath. There's another group going, wait a second, I've never seen anyone healed like this. He's got to be from God. And they're arguing. So these religious leaders, well-trained, turn to the blind man and say, who do you think he is? And what does he say? The only reference he's got, is a prophet? They don't like that answer. So then they say, they want to discredit the witness, as any good lawyer might do. And bring his parents in, and they bring the mom and dad in. It says the mom and dad are very careful to not upset. They know if anybody claims Jesus is the Christ, they're going to be put out of the synagogue, and this would be a disgrace. They would be an outcast themselves, not only for the, the, uh, the shame that their son, who's born blind, has brought on them, but now it would be worse. So they're really careful, and they say, they ask the parents the question, the mom and the dad who have raised this son, who have taken care of him, brought him back and forth, they ask them the question, what do you say? What happened with this kid? Did Jesus heal him? And the mom and dad being very careful with their words stop and say, well, we we know he's our son. We know he was blind. He can see now. But he's of age. Why don't you ask him? That's all we know. A a very safe, wimpy way to just step out of it. (laughs) I really can't. That's all I can say. It's really up to him. And they bring him back in. And there this guy comes back, and he's got to give testimony one more time. And they begin to question, and you almost sense the frustration. Now, now think back a minute when you had your eyes closed, and everything was dark. This guy has had this, this Pentecost uh, moment where he has, everything has changed. He can see. Do you think he cares about impressing the religious leaders? He is so psyched and jazzed. And wouldn't he be, and wouldn't you be, if the guy who touched you, Jesus, they're throwing him under the bus? or chariot, I guess, of the day. Uh, And so here he is, and they ask him the question again, what is the story? What has happened here? And he responds, and I love his boldness as this man speaks to to their question. And and he stops and says this. uh, Look, um, I've told you already, verse 27, chapter 9, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And he's got a little edge to him. Do you want to become his disciples too? You guys interested? You join in the club? What a great line. Are you, do you guys want to, are you in it? That's why you want to know, right? Can you, can you sense the frustration these religious, smug, arrogant men must have had with that response? And they did. And, and after his bold words, he, they, they continued to argue amongst themselves and fi- his final response to them, and I love it. I, I'll read it. I don't want to butcher it. It's verses 31 to 33. He says, we know. Now, 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 frame of reference, go back to the original understanding. Jesus' disciples walking through said, who sinned? Common day understanding, somebody's responsible for this. Who sinned? So they're back to this, and, and he comes back to that same theological point that was a, an incorrect assumption, by the way. 
as we, as we understand from Job as well. He says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. That's good news. It says, never since the world began has it been heard of that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He, he, he appeals to their scientific mind and kind of goes to this deductive reasoning and says, this would be impossible unless this guy's from God. And they don't like his tone. They don't like how he's spoken to them. And it says at this point, they, they respond. And if, you, and if you catch it, they go back to the same understanding of verses one and two. And what they say is, you were born in utter sin. So how dare you try to teach us? And they cast him out. You've been an outcast your whole life. You finally got your opportunity to fit in. Your sight is back. You're standing before the one. Remember, remember when Jesus would heal people and he'd send them to the religious leaders because they'd get the blessing that they were healed, whether it was a leper or a blind, and then they could come back and join society. They needed that checkpoint. They needed that sign-off to come back in. And this group that has the authority to welcome him back in has just rejected him, and they cast him out. Can you imagine being that guy? I mean, maybe at this point you're like, well, I'm just happy to have my sight. But you're probably thinking, I don't have a job. You can't beg with your sight. I don't know that I'll fit. I can't go to synagogue anymore. And I love this part of the, of the uh, account because in, in this part, Jesus returns to the man. It says he heard that this man had been put out, so Jesus intentionally went to find him. It says verses 35 and 36. It says, Jesus heard that he had been cast, they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man answered, who's now, who's now got his sight, answered and said, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now understand, this guy who has incredibly strong hearing would know the voice of Christ as soon as he saw him. So this is the guy who healed me. I remember that voice. This is the guy, and he's referring to him with, he's speaking to him with respect, knowing who he is speaking to, but not fully sure. Remember, his response was, I guess he's a prophet. And his response is, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? I will listen to anything you say, in other words, because you're the guy that touched me and brought healing. And then he says, Jesus says, in kind of a funny way, well, you've seen him. He's the guy who's speaking to you now. Kind of like Yoda, you know. I who speak to you am he. Uh, in other words, dude, it's me. And I love his response. He said the man fell down and worshipped him. That, what, what, what a great, I found an image of that on, on the internet. Just this idea that this guy would worship Christ. When he realizes who he is, he's dropped his staff now. He's just like, you're all that matters. And Christ restores him and gives him purpose. And I, want to, I want to kind of pause there and say, isn't that Jesus' M.O.? He finds people, sinners like you and like me, and he goes to them. Those who have walked through horrific things in life, and he goes to them and he offers his love. And he reaches out to them and he he offers them acceptance that society won't often give unless you meet a standard that is often out of reach for anybody. So we have to pretend most of the time. And so here, here's Jesus offering that same love, that same respect. But you know, a lot of us stop and we go, we, we are still caught up in that same understanding of cause and effect. You know, if you have a scientific mind, you've gone, well, for every action, there is what? Right. Opposite or equal 
reaction. There's something else. There's cause and effect. There's a relationship. This happened because this happened. If you're from an Eastern religion mindset, then you're like, well, there's yin and yang. There's kind of a, this idea of karma. You'll get it back. If you're a real Bible scholar, maybe you call it the law of sowing and reaping from Galatians chapter 6 and say, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For those of you that are literal and not familiar with that farming term, you're like, what do you mean sowing? Like stitching? No. Uh, planting seed. If you throw down corn seed, you don't grow pickles, right? Over time, with some rain and sunlight, what sprouts becomes a stalk that grows corn. And so what he's saying is there is a cause and effect, but this was not it. And sometimes what keeps you and I from hearing things or seeing God for who he fully wants to be in our lives is the same arrogance that the religious leaders were guilty of that day to go, dude, I got to figure it out. God doesn't operate this way on the Sabbath. Or God, the, the church I grew up in, we did not see healing like that. So not from a Pentecostal church. You guys are weird. This is not the way he operates. We're, I'm a Baptist. No, what, whatever our background is, that can sometimes be our baggage that keeps us from seeing Christ for who he wants to be in our lives. Or we're stuck with this idea that maybe there was a cause and effect and the enemy has you and I reeling with, you did do something wrong. And, and this is, you're responsible. Now, let me just put that on the side for a minute. There are real cause and effect consequences for sin, right? There were times in my life I have made horrific decisions, spent money at times that I shouldn't have and ended up in credit card debt. And I had to then trust Christ out of that because I wasn't honoring God with my money. That would be a cause and effect. That's a real, I I did something stupid, I pay for it, right? You know, when we get pulled up, when you see those sirens, the, the lights behind your car and you look at your speed limit and go, oh, no and your heart starts to race, you pull over, what do you hope for right away? Grace, right? How are you doing, officer? <laughs> you are, you're sharp. Um, and you're, going to, you're hoping for grace, right? And we all want that. But our minds sometimes are stuck on this cause and effect. And what Christ has shown us here is it doesn't always work the way we have, our, have it set in our formula. You know, it doesn't always work the way we would think. And so how does this apply to you and me today? I was thinking back over the course of my life and when different things have happened as I've questioned God and said, why is this? Am I responsible? Is there some sin in my life you want me to confess? I'm cool with it. I just need you to show me. And there's some of us in this room that have had horrible things happen. Maybe you're like, you know, Will, you talked about kids today. My wife and I have been trying to have kids for years and we haven't been able to. And that is a wound you carry. Or maybe you've lost someone you loved and you've wondered why would God take that person, especially at an age before their time. Maybe there's something else, a tragedy, a disease or something that's hit you or someone you love and you've wondered, what is going on? Why on earth? And you carry a wound around or maybe an obstacle that keeps you from experiencing Christ in a way he would want you to know him. I can honestly say, if you were to ask me, well, what what draws you to Christ? It would never be, you know, uh, it was this great seminar I went to. We went to this Jesus festival. Man, the music there was amazing. Third day, Hillsong United. No. It would be through the trials and the struggles that I've seen Christ work when I'm willing to trust him. How about you? Where have you seen Christ alive and real? Because it's possible to miss him. It's possible to get stuck back where the blind guy was to go, okay, I've seen him do something. He's a prophet. And we hold our picture of Christ here. He's much more than a prophet. He's getting him to the end and says, I am the Messiah. I'm the son of God. I'm the one everyone's looking for. 
And the, the moment he was referring to, heading to the cross, he was saying, I am the light of the world. And this guy for whom light had first been seen in this, on this particular day understands that in a different way than you and I might. So my question is, what do you and I struggle with? And I was thinking as I was preparing this message, what has been a struggle I've walked through that I've had to try to trust Christ with? And my mind went back to a moment in my life that I would say probably the, the most difficult trial I ever walked through was walking through a divorce. Walking through a relationship where you think someone's supposed to be on your team and they're the one that cast you out. And walking through the rejection of that. But if you said, so Will, was that the hardest thing? I would say no. I would say a particular day in my life about 11 years ago. And it was in the month of May. And I remember it as though it's yesterday. And I was in my room and I was on the phone with my spouse at the time. And I realized things are over. I've been trying for three years to put this back together and it's not working. And at this point, at that point on the phone call, I'm talking and I'm upset. I finally hang up. And what I didn't realize was like the blind man who had really good hearing, I had a nine-year-old around the corner. The guy who was all the way over on the bed, Murphy, he rounded the corner to my bedroom and said, "Uh, is it true? Is it true? Is mom leaving? Are you guys getting a divorce? I was not prepared with words. I couldn't answer. And for the first time in my son's life, he saw me weep. And he began to sob. I didn't know what to do. I just ran and hugged him. And there we are in this little crying huddle. And my seven-year-old rounded the corner. And he's never seen such a sight as we're both sobbing. I remember his response. Little Connor came in and goes, did someone die? And he starts crying and just joins the hug huddle. And in a way, somebody died that day because grief always has this effect of death, of a relationship or a dream, and it carries pain. And I think what made that moment most significant was the fact that I could understand and carry the hurt and go back to God with that, but the thought that it affected my children. And I couldn't control that. And I couldn't bring uh, peace to their pain in that moment. I could just sit with them and love them. Have you had a moment like that? What have you walked through in your life that has been difficult? And my question is, did you turn to Christ in it? Or are you still in your mind somehow have your arms crossed going, no, God, either you're punishing me or you're not there. Because I got news for you this morning. He is not only there, but he loves you. And in the same way, as parents, we can, it can break our hearts when we think I'm separated from my child or something might happen to my kid. What we're told in the scripture is when Jesus talked about the father, the way he loves us, he said, you being sinners know how to love your kids. How much more the heavenly father who is perfect loves you. And it breaks his heart when you and I are away from him. And so I just want to close with three observations from, from this passage that have stood out to me. The first is this, that Christ initiated this whole response. Christ Christ initiated this interaction on the road. He's the one who stopped and spoke to the man. He's the one who made the paste. The man didn't even ask to be healed. He initiated it. Here's my question, why? Would it not only be because of his love, 
We don't see Christ's character trying to be puffed up and arrogant like the religious leaders. He did it because he loved the man. Do you know what that touch must have felt like to this blind guy who was an outcast? Touch of healing, to touch his eyes. Here's my question. Why do you love God? Is it for the miracles? You're like, I'm really impressed by that miracle. That's why I love him. For me, it was the calming of the storm. That's what drew me. I mean, what was it for you? Was it not because when you found out he loved you? Was it first, first John 4.19 says, we love him because he first, what? Loved us. When we realize, when we start to grasp just a snapshot of he loves you so much, it breaks his heart like a dad looking for his son or daughter saying, come back. Don't let the events of this life wreck you or divide you or push you away. Allow them to be a catalyst for me to be fully present because the number one promise from Old Testament New is I will be with you if you let me. What a tragedy to miss the father that's loving and right there and present and not welcome him in. I mean, you think of Christ walking through the passages of scripture and what does he do? He initiates. He says to the 10 lepers, Go show yourself to priests. You'll be healed. I mean, he, he, he goes to the, to the blind man, and, and uh, excuse me, to the man with the shriveled hands to stretch out your hand. So the first part is that I want you to know Christ loves you. And the second point is this. There's always, always an ask on his part for you and I to step out in faith, to take a risk. Show me. What was it for this guy? The, the blind man, what did he say? Go wash the pool of Siloam. He didn't even say, and you'll receive your sight. If you catch it, he didn't say it, just go wash like, Oh, you put spit on my eyes. Now I got to go wash. Someone get me there, please. I mean, well, imagine he just, imagine the account read like, and then he washed his eyes and it wasn't muddy anymore. And he came back to beg. Anticlimactic, right? I don't think, it, it might not have made it in there. So he receives his sight. He comes back. It's, and, and the 10 lepers, when Christ sends them away, after he initiates their healing, what does it say? As they went, they were healed. You oftentimes have to step out and and to experience the love of Christ. You and I usually have to take a step or a risk to experience it. Can you imagine the man with a shriveled hand? Stand up. And what does Jesus say? Stretch out your hand. I can imagine if it was me going, I can't, it's shriveled. If you had asked me to go clean, wash like the other dude, I can do that. But, But stretching out my hand. See, it takes faith. When he heals a paralytic, he says, stand up. It's faith. His love initiates his encounter with you and with me. But then he says, step out, trust me. See, some of us, we're philosophically still meddling with, noodling with this idea that he loves us, but the idea of stepping out is scary. Because what if I get burned? And what I want to say is the big lie from the father of lies would be that the one who loves you more than anyone would burn you. We are in better hands than anywhere else than when we trust him and take steps of faith. Take it from a guy who's made a whole lot of mistakes, but every time I trust him, I never regret it. Even when it doesn't turn out the way I think it ought to, I'm learning to trust him to go, okay, Lord. Okay, baby's coming two weeks early. Woo! And, and life is an adventure, but you don't have to go through it alone. And what does it say? We please God, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not like difficult to please, impossible. Without you and I going, I trust you with my finances, even though I've made a mess of them. I trust you with my relationships. Maybe a step of faith for some of us this morning would be, I need to go ask forgiveness of some people. I need to go uh, own my stuff. 
You know, some of us would say, well, I'm not blind. Do you know, you know uh, if you're a horse person, you see sometimes, especially in the Amish country, they have the horse blinders. They put those blinders on the side of a horse to block their peripheral vision. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like this. So they do that so the horse, like an ADHD person, can just stay focused. Okay? It's, it's their medication for that. And so the, the horse has these on so that they don't lose focus. They can stay on the, on the thought ahead. They, they block out all these other things going on. See, some of us are so overwhelmed by all the stuff going on. Maybe there's stuff going on in your life right now. You're like, dude, you don't know what I got. I got news for you. Christ does, and he can walk through it and calm any storm of life. And for others of us, maybe there's an area of sin in our life that is blind to us, but apparent to many people around us who know us best. And Christ is saying, if you would trust me to let me shine my light on that area that you have not surrendered, that holds you captive, in in addition to saying, Christ promising, I can open the eyes of the blind, he said, I can set the captives free if you trust me. But I need you to bring it into the light and let other people know about it because it's the truth that sets us free. It's bringing it out of the dark that gets light and allows the light of the world to shine on it. So the the last point would be this. So first, that he loves us. Second, that we'd step out in faith. Last part, Jesus said... Hey, look, I'm, I'm the light of the world. I'm headed to the cross right now. I'm going to do that in this moment because I'm leaving. So I am going to reach out and love this guy right now. In other words, Christ was saying, I'm not caught up in the past. Like you guys are all talking about who sinned, who, who's responsible. Uh, nobody. It's about this moment right here. That's where I'm Lord. That's where I'm glorified. And he was stepping out and trusting his father right in the moment. And there's something in there for you and for me. Maybe some of us are caught up with the past junk or worried about something in our future. And Christ is saying, right here in this moment, trust me. So I'd like us to close by by praying, but kind of an active prayer. So if you might once again close your eyes with me. Not that that makes it any more spiritual, but just to block out any distractions. And we would invite God by his spirit to speak as only God can individually to each and every individual in this room right now. We invite you, God, by your spirit that you might speak to us. And if you in your mind have felt like, I don't know that Christ really loves me because there's a wound you carry or a scar that has marred you or left you crippled, I want you to right now ask the Lord to let you know that he loves you. just in the silence of your heart. Ask him if it's true. If you are not hearing the voice of the Spirit, I got news for you. He loves you. Secondly, you might ask the Lord, just whisper to him, Lord, what step of faith do you want me to take to honor you? Is it something with your finances? Is it something in a relationship? Is it something about your time every day and how you'd spend time with him or make, give him access to your thoughts? Surrender an area that you know is off. Confess a sin that you know you've been carrying. It is more of a burden and bondage than any freedom the enemy lies and says it is. Just be silent see what God would speak to us. What step of faith, Lord, would honor you?
And the last question would be, Lord, what do you want us to do to honor you today? It's easy to put things off to tomorrow. It's easy to think about Christ. But Lord, is there something you'd want to put on our hearts today before the sun goes down tonight that we would honor you with? See if the Lord would whisper something to your heart. And we thank you, God, for the way you love us. We thank you, Lord, that just like this blind man, you're the one that gives us spiritual eyes to see or that you are the one that deserves all the glory. And as just as that blind man ended up on his knees, honoring you, worshiping you when he realized who you really are, I pray that each and every one of us would not miss the adventure, the privilege of knowing your grace and following you, stepping out in faith in our lives and our relationships, that you might bring healing to the pain we've suffered, understanding to situations that have made no sense and your presence in our periods of feeling lonely. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Amen.